This is episode 108, Making Friends with Our Worst Case Scenario. Welcome to Becoming, where together we are becoming more than we are and who we were always meant to be. We are your hosts, Tawny Beardall and Erica Peterson. Each episode will feature different topics to enhance your growth, help you see the world differently, and discover who you really want to become. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Becoming. We are just barely diving in and getting started with the series of the seven steps of spiritual surrender. Today, we are going over step number two, which is making friends with your worst case scenario. And if you guys haven't listened to the first two episodes of the series, I would highly suggest going back and listening to those ones first. Or like you don't have to listen to me at all. You can do whatever you want and just join me today in talking about how we can do that. Make friends with our worst case scenario or our worst fears. So again, this whole series is based off of an amazing article that I just love. It's written by Laura Brotherson. And she is a licensed marriage and family therapist and has a bunch of other awesome letters and hard work after her title. She begins this second segment by saying, figure out your greatest fear or worst case scenario of the situation and mentally figure out how to be okay with that possibility. Make friends with it, no matter how terrible or wrong it may seem. It's the but if not principle. And then she cites to see Daniel 3, 17 through 18, of determining to be okay no matter what. So I want to pause right here really quickly and find that reference that she's talking about and go over it. So we're going to Daniel 3. I've always been so intrigued by this chapter in Daniel. As a kid, I think it's because of all of the strange names of the men involved. (laughs) Um, But I grew to really recognize the incredible faith that's displayed in this chapter. The background of this chapter is that King Nebuchadnezzar created this golden idol, and he commanded that all men should worship it. But there were these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Didn't I tell you that there was some fun names in this chapter? Well, they refused to worship this golden idol, even at the risk of losing their lives. They loved their God and were so loyal to him. Someone ended up telling the king about this, and he threatened to throw them into the fiery furnace, which probably made this story even more memorable as a child, right? That's pretty intense. So if we specifically read verses 17 and 18, like she quoted, it says, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image that thou hast set up. Okay, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's worst case scenario here is being thrown into a fiery furnace and dying. That's a pretty intense worst case scenario. I really personally don't know how I would handle that pressure. I mean, all these men really needed to do was to pretend to worship this image. They could just really quickly do it without having genuine intentions of actually worshiping the idol, right? No, not for them. That was not even an option. 
they were true to their loving God. They trusted that God would save them from death, yet they stated, but if not, then they were still willing to do the right thing, to accept the worst case scenario, understanding all that it would entail. They did it with peace in their hearts and confidence in their disposition. Do you guys remember how the story ends? The king's servants built this fire in the furnace and they tied Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up with ropes and they threw them into the fire. The fire was actually so hot that the servants who threw them in, they ended up dying themselves. The king looked into the furnace and he actually saw four men walking in the fire. It wasn't just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said the form of the fourth was like the son of God. God saved them. And when the king saw this, he shouted out for them to come out. The fire didn't hurt them at all. It didn't even burn a hair on their head or their clothes. And the most miraculous thing is they didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. The king of Babylon ended up making a decree that no one was allowed to speak anything amiss against their God. For only the real God could provide a savior or an angel to perform such a miracle. This chapter in the Bible is such a powerful and extreme example of facing a worst case scenario. But I really want you guys to think about your own personal worst case scenario that might pertain to certain situations. How often are you pleading with the Lord to help you avoid it? Would this but if not principle help you understand that you will be okay no matter what? God will not forsake you even if your worst case scenario plays out. So in the article, Laura Brotherson helps us make a tangible plan for proceeding by saying, you accomplish this by partnering with the Lord in a more personal and profound way than you ever have before. When you make peace with your fears, they are less likely to show up. When you become okay with your worst case scenario, you are no longer enslaved by a particular outcome or fear because you truly are okay with any outcome. This releases you from inadvertently helping to create the undesirable outcome because you no longer have negative emotion going towards it, which feeds it. Making friends with your worst case scenario is how you get rid of fear in your life. One thing I think we should remember is that we are an incredible species and we have very active and vivid imaginations. I'm sure all of us have spent some wasted time coming up with terrifying and very upsetting possible outcomes. If we get real with ourselves, we will probably realize that the possibilities of those worst case scenarios are next to nothing. We need to check ourselves and to be aware of our thoughts and how they're affecting us, our attitudes, and our potential outcomes. The line that really sticks out to me is when she talked about how our negative thoughts can inadvertently create undesirable outcomes because we are feeding that energy and giving it our focus. And that really reminded me of an episode I did with my friend Shanna Blackburn called I'm God's Favorite. It's all about confirmation bias. It's one of my very favorite episodes. We talk about how what you look for in life is what you will find. If you are pouring so much energy into what may happen, this often leads it to happening more frequently. Stop giving power to the negativity. Make peace with it happening. Think about what your fear may be and just sit in that space for a minute. 
How would it feel? How would you end up moving forward? Would God provide a plan for what you should do next? Would he comfort, love, and heal you along the way? Absolutely. Let's make friends with what that would be like. Accept whatever may come and let go of the fear. How empowering would that be? I think sometimes it's seriously just our stubbornness and our perspective that stops us from being willing to look at any other alternative. And this actually reminds me of a talk that was given in October of 2020 by Russell M. Nelson, the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The talk is called Let God Prevail. And I just want to read you a little excerpt from it. Not long ago, the wife of one of our grandsons was struggling spiritually. I will call her Jill. Despite fasting, prayer, and priesthood blessings, Jill's father was dying. She was gripped with fear that she would lose both her dad and her testimony. Late one evening, my wife, Sister Wendy Nielsen, told me of Jill's situation. The next morning, Wendy felt impressed to share with Jill that my response to her spiritual wrestle was one word. The word was myopic. Jill later admitted to Wendy, initially, she was devastated by my response. She said, I was hoping for grandfather to promise me a miracle for my dad. I kept wondering why the word myopic was the one he felt compelled to say. After Jill's father passed away, the word myopic kept coming to her mind. She opened her heart to understand even more deeply that myopic meant nearsighted, and her thinking began to shift. Jill then said, myopic caused me to stop, think, and heal. That word now fills me with peace. It reminds me to expand my perspective and seek the eternal. It reminds me that there is a divine plan and that my dad still lives and loves and looks out for me. Myopic has led me to God. I am very proud of our precious granddaughter-in-law. During this heart-wrenching time in her life, dear Jill is learning to embrace God's will for her dad with an eternal perspective for her own life. By choosing to let God prevail, she is finding peace. End quote. I really, really love that whole talk. I would highly suggest going back and reading the whole thing. But in this situation, Jill's worst case scenario was her father dying which sadly did end up happening. I can totally understand her disappointment when the prophet simply shared the word myopic as his advice for the situation. Oh, it would be hard to hear. It's really not a fluffy, nurturing comment that's full of love for a miraculous dream of healing for her father. It's just a simple word that gave direct inspiration to what would actually help her with what she was going through. When you really, really think about it, life is essentially all about perspective. It's about what lens we want to use to view the situation and what meaning we want to give things. Death, for me, has always been really a difficult thing to understand and cope with. So my heart completely goes out to Jill. And her story sparked a memory in me, and it was an experience that left a lasting impression. My dad's dad, whose name was Ivan Reed Payne, was one of the world's greatest men. I loved him so much. He was such a kind and caring man. He was an amazing pianist. He actually wrote the Christmas song, When Joseph Went to Bethlehem, if you've heard that before. It is such a beautiful song. Um, He was also a practicing psychologist as well as a university professor of psychology. 
he taught at Brigham Young University for 30 years. And I remember being at his funeral back in 2009 and just being in awe as I watched my own father. And like I said before, death has always been a really hard struggle. And it's just, I just can't wrap my head around it. Loss of a loved one has been, and I think will always be one of my greatest fears. But I remember watching my father at his father's funeral, and he had such a light about him. He was just going around and welcoming all the guests and reminiscing about the beautiful and fun memories that everybody had with his dad. And I watched him as he smiled and he just seemed happy. I didn't get it. So I pulled him aside and I asked, how in the world are you doing so well? I just can't imagine myself functioning this well at either of my parents' funerals. And he hugged me and he said something like this. Oh, Tawny, this is the whole point to this life. Grandpa succeeded at everything he was sent here to do. He came to this earth, he received a body, and he experienced a beautiful life. He loved and he was loved and he served and he followed his father in heaven. My dad said that he could just imagine the celebration that they were having for him in heaven right now. It was his birthday up there and everyone was just welcoming him back and congratulating him on a job well done. That is why he came here and he fulfilled his mission. My dad had made friends with his worst case scenario. He saw the big picture. He understood an eternal truth and that gave him all the comfort that he could possibly need. And before I go on, I know that this example is specific to my grandpa. I think many of us feel that our worst case scenarios include a loss of a loved one. And I recognize that my dad may have been able to make uh, friends with his worst case scenario in this situation because my grandpa had lived a wonderful and full life. And I know a lot of people don't get that opportunity. And so nothing I can say here will make the perspective of loss magically okay in every situation. But we can find new perspectives and new truths as we grapple with our worst case scenarios. There are many worst case scenarios that don't involve loss at all. But these lessons and principles can be applied in so many different situations. I actually called my dad um, to discuss sharing this story on the podcast today. And he reminded me of my grandfather's convocation after he retired from BYU. I seriously loved it. It was really touching for me. In it, my grandpa talked about how the two great commandments that our Father in Heaven asked of us actually entail three main relationship responsibilities. And I want to read from his convocation as he begins by reminding us of what these two great commandments are. In the Savior's reply to the Pharisee, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And the second great commandment is, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In psychological language, the most important aspects of our existence then is to be found in relationships, and the priority of these relationships is spelled out. First is our relationship to God the Father through Christ. Second is our relationship to our fellow men. If you focus in on that last commandment, he says to love thy neighbor as thyself. So my grandpa talks about how the third relationship is with ourselves. And I so strongly agree with that. We need to have a beautiful and loving relationship with ourselves. That connection with self is so important. 
My grandpa, Professor Payne, does a much better job at explaining this than I could. He goes on to say, It can be argued from the Christian perspective that love of God and love of others must not only precede love of self, but are necessary prerequisites to genuine and grounded love of self, a love that lasts. Love of self alone becomes distorted, turns inward, and feeds on itself in a meaningless, self-consuming cycle. Spiritual excellence cannot be obtained alone or in isolation, but only with the enablement of God and the empowerment of community. Acceptance is a keystone in the structure of Christian perfection. With love rather than evaluation and concern rather than criticism characterizing the inhabitants, the spiritual person cannot afford in the eternal scheme of life to do your own thing. C.S. Lewis understood this when he said, The only things we can keep are the things that we freely give to God. What we try to keep ourselves is just what we are sure to lose. To reiterate how important it is to look outside ourselves, my grandfather goes on to say, Our research findings have shown that the experience of doing missionary work for over a two-year period were associated with A, a higher self-esteem, B, higher purpose in life, C, more social consciousness, and D, greater spirituality. God's purpose is to elevate mankind beyond our best efforts to imagine, but to participate in this, we must overcome the destructiveness of pride, which is the false self, the damning effects of dishonesty, which is the deceiving self, and the fragmentation of disunity, which is the unloving self. So the third question I put to you is, what kind of relationship do you want with yourself? End of quote. If you guys have been around here long, you know that I'm quite passionate about finding self-love and appreciation for who we are and the amazing bodies that we have here. I really appreciate how true love of self isn't in fact selfish when it is done right and through God. When we do it right, it provides us this freedom to spend our energy that maybe once was fixated on changing our physical or otherwise flawed selves to then being able to be free to focus on others and our spiritual purposes. Professor Payne wraps up his convocation by saying, Important spiritual paradoxes can be recognized in the life of the Savior from birth to death. Though the creator of the world, there was no room for him in the inn, and his final resting place was a borrowed tomb. The ultimate paradox was the fact that the Savior demonstrated the truths of what he said. His priorities were not consistent with the wisdom of the world. Guided by love and faith in his Father, he did what no other could do. He put first things first. He wanted what his Father wanted. In summary then, I have reflected on relationships that matter and on the spiritual paradox. In reflecting on what matters most to me, I hope you have reflected on what matters most to you. It is quite possible that you may get what you want. If not now, then later. But that is not the important point. The important point is, do you want the right thing? Our Heavenly Father may indeed bless us or punish us by giving us what we want most. As Alma said, for I know that he granteth unto men according to their desire. I believe we will eventually get what we want. 
Therefore, one of the fundamental purposes of this life is to learn to want the right thing. My hope for you is that you will truly desire that which is good. Okay, that's the end of what I'm going to share from his convocation. He was such a wise man, and I feel honored to share his words on here with you guys. I love how what he says connects with what we are talking about today. If we are making peace with our worst case scenario, then we must first think of the opposite, right? What is our desired outcome? What is it that we really want? We need to first and foremost learn to want the right things. Learn to trust God's plan for our life and for our development and our growth. When we are so fixated on what we think the desired outcome should be, we can lose sight on what really matters, or we may miss the lessons to be learned along the way. I love what my grandpa reiterated there at the end. Our Savior's priorities were not consistent with the wisdom of the world. They were guided by love and faith in his father. Everything changes when we put our stock in our father in heaven. We can learn to let go of pride and avoid being so self-consumed. We can do this more efficiently as we learn to turn our focus outward. We will find so much more peace and happiness when we in fact learn to want the right things. I hope this episode was helpful in helping you make sense and become friends with your worst case scenario. And I really hope you tune in next week as we talk about the third step, which is to let go. Learning how to let go of the emotional attachment to a specific outcome. Have an incredible week, you guys. I love you and I am cheering you on. Hang in there. Gab Wireless is our favorite company for providing the perfect first phone for your teen. It has 14 essential apps, looks like a smartphone, has everything they need without all the stuff they don't. To learn more, click on the link in the show notes. When you use our link, it helps support the podcast. So thank you so much.